Good morning. How are we? You know, my wife recently got a little plaque. Uh, she found it in the, you know, in the for sale section of I think it was TJ Maxx or Ross. No, it was TJ Maxx, and and uh, you know where they got all the stuff with the red stickers on it. You know, I don't know if that's a scam just to make you think you're getting something on sale or what, but. Anyway, we found this one plaque, and it said, you are loved. And uh, I tell you, that little plaque sitting in our house up on the, uh, by the TV, I just look up at that, and I, that thing has ministered to me more, you know, just you are loved. Um, you know, the Word says that we love Him because He first loved us, you know. I think sometimes, you know, we, we focus a lot on, you know, loving Him and loving others. But I want to say this to you. We really don't have anything to give unless we allow Him to love us. You know? Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but I gave Him to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. You know? Unless Jesus washes our feet, we can't wash the feet of anybody else. Oh, now I know that's... Jesus washing my feet. Yeah, some of us hear that Peter in us, don't we? I'll serve him. He's not looking for servants first. He's looking for sons and daughters first. <laughs> and out of that relationship, out of that love, you know, the byproduct of that is we serve. You know, I, I had a pastor down in Florida. His name was Pastor Mike. And I, they had made me his assistant. And, you know, I was the worship leader in the church. And I was his assistant. And, you know, Pastor Mike would give me these lists of things that he wanted done and things like that. And he would go over them with me. And and uh, I, I told him one day, I said, well, that's my job. That's what I want to do. You know. And so about 20 minutes later, Pastor Mike called me back in his office. And he said, he said, listen, I don't want to be your job. He said, I want to be your friend. <laughs> he said, I want you to do the things that you do do for me out of love not because it's your duty amen um, he said again he, he if we think that they getting on our knees or or any other kind of action or you know listen and i'm not shouting it down even getting up here dancing up on the floor if we think those things are going to bring us close to god we're, we're sadly mistaken we're missing it. Uh, I remember being on my knees one time seeking the Lord and just, uh, I was going to be really holy, you know. I was going to really seek Him. I was like, God, Lord. And I heard that still small voice say, get up. What? Get up. Do you think that's going to bring you close to me? you think that's what it takes to get close to me? And I got up and I began to praise Him and worship Him and thank Him. Next thing you know, I was on my knees. But it wasn't to get close to Him. It was because I was close to Him. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't have to do Christian voodoo to stir up the Spirit. You hear me? Y'all know what Christian voodoo is, don't you? 
We do that. Yeah, we do our Christian voodoo and we're trying to stir the spirit up. He's here. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. We don't have to stir it up. He's here. He's here right now. Okay? Now listen. I'm not saying that coming up on the floor and dancing and worship, if that's your response to the Lord, that's great. But if you're doing that to try to get close to God, you're missing it. Because what gets us close to God is a heart that says, Lord, I'm poor, I'm broken, I'm lost. I can't live without you. <laughs> I need you. That's faith. Faith, very simply, is dependence on God. I need you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That word poor translates out in the Greek to someone who doesn't even have the strength or ability to even work for a living. Blessed are you when you realize your complete and total spiritual depravity apart from me. That's the doorway into the kingdom of heaven. That's the doorway into the kingdom. Can I get a witness? Amen. So, I'm not, again, I'm not saying that being up here on the floor is a bad thing. And, and, and listen, definitely sitting back there in the back judging the people here on the floor is not getting you close to God either. Uh, but what I am saying is, is that if we're trying to do those things to get close to God, it doesn't work. We do those things in response to God. We do that in response to His love, in response to His mercy, in response to His grace. You know, He did the work. He made a way. He opened the door wide. <laughs> and all we have to do is simply walk through it. And the only hindrance between us and that door is right here. <laughs> it's no work to get into His presence. Jesus? <laughs> now you might say, well, I don't feel close to God. Well, that's your feelings. <laughs> they come from your, your thoughts, which you're like me. <laughs> Pretty messed up at times. Amen? Had a breakdown last weekend. I was sick and broke down and cried and wept and you know had so much stuff on my mind and on my plate and you know, was on overload. My wife just sat there and hugged me and loved on me and let me cry. And, anybody ever done that lately? You need one of them? Amen. Somebody's like, I don't break down. I'm, I'm tough. I know. I know. I know. Anyway, you know, I, I was thinking about this story of Tommy Tenney, and I'm just sharing with you all some thoughts. I'm not trying to preach nothing. I, it, maybe if it comes out that way, it'll come out that way, whatever. This guy, Tommy Tenney, anybody ever read God Chasers? Great book. Get it. I encourage you to get it. The book really ministered to me and changed my life. Um, but, you know, in that book or the one after it, he, he tells a story of his daughter. He had gotten home off some ministry trips and, his, uh, his daughter came out there, and she was in gymnastics class. You know, she was four or five or whatever. And uh, she was doing somersaults and all that. And every now and again, he would he would uh, take and look over his paper and look at her. But he said she wasn't no Nadia Komenichi. You know, she, she you know, was doing a little somersaults. So it wasn't really impressive. You know, and after a while, I think she got tired of trying to impress him. 
And she ended up going outside and playing. Well, the next thing you know, he heard her scream. And when he heard her scream, he threw his newspaper down, he jumped over the coffee table, and he ran after her. You know. And he said this, he said, God's really not interested in our spiritual dog and pony show. (laughs) You know, he's not interested in our little spiritual somersaults that we do and our little whatever. But what he is interested in is when we're hurting and we're in pain and we're in need and we're desperate, he'll move heaven and hell to get to us. You know, and that's his love. Um. If I only experience His presence in these four walls, I'm, I'm sadly living below God's heart for my life. If this is the only time that I experience God's presence is in a worship service, it's great and we need that. I need that. I enjoy it. But if this is the only time, then we're, we're, we're falling far below where God really wants, what He wants to give us. You know, I, I remember, <clears throat> I remember being on a job site a little while. It's, it's been several years ago, and uh, me and my wife had gotten into a fight. I'm sure it was her fault. She's not here this morning. No, it's probably my fault. I'm usually the problem. But anyway, um, I was so frustrated and angry and mad. You know, and I was just sitting there and I'm painting, and you know, and I just in my funk and. I just heard the Lord break through all that. And he goes, I love you. Said, I love you. I love you. I'm sorry, Lord. He loved on me. He helped me. He ministered to me. And then I was on the phone. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I was a butthead. Yes, you were. <laughs> but, you know, God wants us to experience Him. You know, and, and I mean, I'm going to say, sometimes in our religion, we just, we miss God. We're, sometimes we're so religious. We have these boxes that we set up and... <laughs> Oh my gosh. Let it go. Because <laughs> there's sometimes that God may want to speak to us in things and show us things. Listen, God spoke to me in a Jimi Hendrix song. Oh my God. Huh? He could, God, he can't do that. Jimi Hendrix. Nah, he told me, he said, I stand next to your mountain and I chop it down with the edge of my hand. It's a lyric to a Jimi Hendrix song. The Lord ministered to me with that. Whatever I was facing, I don't remember what it was. But in that song, He really ministered to me. Now, I'm not, am I telling you to go out and buy, Hey, Joe. No, I'm not telling you that. All right? I don't listen to Jimi Hendrix on a regular basis. Okay? I used to, but I don't anymore. What I'm saying to you is sometimes we can become so narrow-minded about things, that we can really lose and miss what God may be wanting to speak to us through everything. The, the, the earth is the Lord and every, Lord's and everything in it. <laughs> the Word says God can minister to us through anything. We just got to be looking for it. We got to be aware of it. All right? It's not that He, it's, we don't, again, we don't have to drum up His presence. 
We don't have to froth at the mouth and do Christian voodoo to get him to come. He's here. What we need is an awareness of his presence. Do you know that we don't sing a lot of these songs over and over and over because God likes to hear it over and over and over? No, we sing it over and over and over. So we get it. (laughs) So we get it. So, oh, 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 how he loves me. (laughs) He, oh, (laughs) yeah, okay. He loves me. He loves me. I remember one time Jonathan Helser was, Dunklin, man, and I mean, he kept singing this thing over and over. Everything God does. Get now, I'm a worship leader, and you know, and I like contemporary worship, and and I've sung things over and over. But I mean, he was just singing this thing over and over, and I was just about sick and tired of hearing this thing. You know, and he kept singing, "Everything God does is good. Everything God does is good." And I dealt with my attitude about it, and then he sang it one more time, and the Lord said, "That includes you." And I broke down. I was on my face. You know. But it took that long <laughs> for me to get it. That everything God does is good, including me. And what He made me to be was good. It was awesome. Amen? I'm learning that. He wants to shower us with love every single day in every single situation that we face. Again, The problem isn't that he's not present. He is always present. He's an ever-present help in time of need. He's here. The problem problem's not God. The problem is our awareness of his presence, our awareness of who he is, our awareness of his goodness. You know, I remember, uh, and Steve, you may may not even remember this. This This is a ways back. I was so stressed out with the painting business. We had, you know, three and a half vans that were broken down. I had five jobs going on. I'm having to take people to jobs in my own uh, truck, you know. And I got three three guys in my truck, and I'm taking them to a job. And I'm I'm going down the road, and my clutch starts slipping. And inside of me, I'm like, really? (laughs) Can a brother get a little help here? Huh? I mean, I'm doing your work here. This is what you call me to. I mean, you know, come on. Yeah, I got mad at God. He's big enough to handle that. Let me assure you, he was big enough to handle this. So I got my little stink pity pot and wallowing in it. And, you know, self-pity's nasty. That's a nasty attitude we get into that thing. Man, everybody knew what was going on with me. They would. They don't know what I'm going through. They'd be... Meh, 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 meh. I'm probably the only one that goes to that. No. Anyway, so... Uh, so I get throughout that week and I'm struggling and I'm frustrated. And, you know, I feel the Lord knocking. You know, he's, he's like the heavenly beggar. You know, he's just always knocking on the door of our heart. Just always wanting to speak to us. He never stops. Never stops. He's always knocking. Whatever we're struggling with, he's always knocking. He's always there. So he kept ministering to me. And I, and I had to go. I went to a, a, a home church meeting with Steve. And uh, out of obligation because I didn't want to go. 
you know. I had said I'd go, so I went. And uh, nothing against you. I just, that's where I was at. And I went in there, and Steve comes over to me. We're praying. Steve comes over to me, and he says, I take this yoke off of you, and I place his yoke upon you. And I felt a transaction happen. I felt something take place. I was like, what was that? So I got get down the road. I'm like, Lord, I don't understand. You know, where's your grace at in this thing? You know, what's what's going on? And he spoke to me. He said, Robbie, I haven't moved. (laughs) I haven't gone anywhere. I'm the same place I've always been right here. (laughs) You've moved. And I began to weep. And I began to cry. And I began to repent of just getting so caught up in the worries and cares of this life and getting my eyes off of him and not trusting him not seeing him. I wept so hard, literally, I had calluses on my cheeks because I just wept so hard. And I wept like that for days. You know, God was just dealing with me and working in my heart. And I, and I, and through that process, I realized that God doesn't move. He's here. And His love is always available. His love is, 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 is here with whatever situation, whatever circumstance we're going through. God wants to meet us there. He wants to teach us. You know, sometimes he meets us in our darkness. You know, much like he met the woman caught in the act of adultery. Um, let's turn there. Uh, Luke chapter, no, John chapter 8, I believe it is. I'm going to read some and I want to talk to you about some of this. It says in verse 3, it says, The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the center of the court, they said to her, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law of Moses, now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. And then do you say, they were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up. He said to them, He who is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone, and the, and the woman where she was in the center of the court, straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. And I like this. You know, these, sometimes the verses, I think, separate things. But I think he was speaking this to her also. So then Jesus spoke again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, he met her in a very dark place. You know, I, I, I was asking too, where's the man? <laughs> Takes two to tango. I mean, where was he at? So obviously they really weren't concerned about that issue. They were concerned about trying to trick Jesus. And uh, I, I like the question that he asked. He who is without sin cast the first stone. That says he was writing in the sand, and nobody really knows what he was writing in the sand. But I, I find it interesting 
that he, he, he knelt down and he began to write in the sand. And then it says there that he knelt down again and he wrote in the sand and that they began leaving one by one, the oldest to the youngest. So apparently as they saw what he was writing, I don't know if it was specifically confronting something with them, but as he wrote one by one, as they looked, they were like, hmm, you know, maybe he was writing, oh, uh, Levi or, you know, whoever. This is where you were last Tuesday. And <laughs> oh, uh, you know, whoever. This is where you were Wednesday night. Remember that? <laughs> I'm out. You know, I don't know. But I wonder that. Because he said he was without sin, cast the first stone. And I wonder if that's what he began to write. I, I question that. I, that I don't know. But this I do know. The only one that had the right to cast the first stone there was Jesus. He's the only one that had the right to cast the first stone. He who was without sin cast the first stone. In, in Romans chapter 8, I believe it says, Who is it that condemns? It is Christ, and he died for us. In other words, who is the only one who has the right to condemn us? Christ, and he died for us. He made a way. He met this woman in one of her darkest places. Can you imagine the shame and the embarrassment of being ripped out of the very bed that you were committing adultery in and being thrust before a crowd. And in that place, he loved on her. <laughs> he met her there and he helped her. And he spoke something very important. I wanted to read that verse. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Understand that he was attending the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay. If you go back into chapter 7, you can see that, that he was attending the Feast of Tabernacles. And at that feast, one of the celebrations that they had was the celebration of the pillar of light that, that guided the Israelites out of Egypt in the Exodus. Okay? Well, what was Jesus saying there? He's saying, I'm that pillar of light. He said, I'll, I'll lead you out of darkness. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll lead you out of the, the place that you're at right now. And I believe he was speaking that to her. I believe he was speaking that to all of them. But I believe he was speaking that to her. Because, I mean, I, sometimes I looked at that verse and went, oh, just go and sin no more. You'd be all right. You know, no. He was saying, I'll lead you out of that darkness. I'm your light now. You know, and I, and I had some other thoughts in reference to that. I wanted to read to you. Um. He is the light that leads out of darkness. He gives light to those who follow him. Um, Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 43, 3, Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. So Jesus is that pillar of light. That pillar of light that guided Israel in the darkness of night. Out of Egypt. Egypt is a type for the world. <laughs> Jesus said, put your eyes on me. I'll lead you out of the world. <laughs> I'll lead you into freedom. How about in our self-righteousness? Jesus, meet us in our self-righteousness. Anybody in here been self-righteous? Yeah. Thought we 
thought we were something. Yeah. You know, I think about the, the older brother and the prodigal son. And, and in that story, the, the prodigal son comes home and, you know, that's one of my favorite verses in the Bible that he, you know, while he was still a long way off, you know, he couldn't bridge the gap. But the father bridged the gap. The father made a way. While he was still a long way off, he ran to him. You know, the thing that I love about that picture is that, that God's not sitting idly by. Well, you can receive your love, my love when you come to me. <laughs> no, he's pursuing us. He's going after us. You know? His love is a verb. <laughs> old DC talk. Anybody remember? Anyway, tell him I ate. No. Yeah, love is a verb. All right. But he, but he ran to him. But, but the, 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 the story was really about the older brother. I mean, we get, especially coming out of addiction, a lot of us guys, we, that prodigal son, we relate to that. But something happens to us after we get churched for a little while. We, we know, learn a few scriptures and we start thinking that we know something. Amen? And it says that, let, let's, I want to turn to that verse. Turn to uh, Luke 15. He says, so he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, this verse 20, um, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robes and put it on him and put a ring on his hands and sandals on his feet. Okay, bring the fattened calf, kill it, let us eat and celebrate. Okay, so you see that part, he's restoring restoring the prodigal. And again, that's another picture of Jesus meeting someone in their darkness. But it says, Now the older son, verse 25, was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He summoned one of the servants and began inquiring these things, inquiring these things could be, inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat, so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes and killed the fattened calf, and he said to him, Son, you have always been, and, and killed the fattened calf, and he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. So, in his self-righteousness, the brother was trying to work for what he already had. 
He said, son, all I have is yours. If you wanted to kill the fattened calf the day before yesterday, you could have done it. It was yours, you know. And it says that he left the party. He left the party and he went out to him. God ever met you in your self-righteousness? God ever stuck you? Huh? Ever stuck you? Yeah, he stuck me a few times. I remember, I remember this situation where I was, and I've shared some of this probably with you all, but situation where I was leading worship and at, at the camp and been doing it for about six months. Somebody sends a, an anonymous letter talking about they wish it'd go back the way that it was before and all this. And, and uh, of course, the guy that was leading worship before me just felt the need to share that letter with me. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, and uh, so, of course, I couldn't let it go. I had to investigate it and find out who it was. So I investigated it, and I found out who it was. I'd make a pretty good detective. So, um, And so I went about three days, and that thing just had me stuck, man. I mean, I just, I got, and I just got so sick of wallowing in the cesspool of my funk. You know, I just couldn't take me anymore. Okay, I was at the end. And I just cried out to God and said, God, you know, what's going on? He said, do you see the degree of your reaction to that letter? I said, yes. He said, that's how much pride you have involved in what you're doing. (laughs) Ouch. I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me. And he met me in that place. He loved on me. Now listen, that stung. That hurt. But it was so sweet. It was so good. I was so thankful. God used that situation to confront my pride and my arrogance and my performance. And brought me back down to what really mattered. How about in our busyness? God ever met you in your busyness? Huh? Isn't that a common thing? Man, we're bu- I'm busy, man. I've just been real busy. Huh? A lot of busyness going around. We, we're so busy. we got drive-thrus for everything. Won't get enough sleep. So we're sick. We eat a bunch of junk food. But we ain't got time, so now we got drive-thru pharmacies. So we can hurry up and get our medicine so we can get better so we can keep being busy. Right? Uh, what are we doing? I mean, what are we? And we got, you know, it's, I, sometimes I feel like it's like this invisible bar. We're trying. Well, maybe if we just. And then we, what are we? What are we trying to get? I mean, what are we doing? Much like Martha. You know the story, Mary and Martha. Huh? Martha invite Mary and Martha invite Jesus and his entourage over to their house. It says in that story that, you know, Mary sat at the Lord's feet. Martha was busy with much preparation. Not that that was wrong. But she got really frustrated. She got really angry. And she said, Lord, don't you see? What's going on here? I need help. You ever been there? Lord, don't you see what's going on here? Come on! 
And you know, when we're in Martha mode, we hate the Mary and somebody else. Let's get real. Come on, man. Huh? We're in Martha mode and somebody goes, well, let's just pray about it. Yeah, well, you pray about it. Somebody's got to get something done here. <laughs> so you go sit down. <laughs> huh? It's saying. Ever been there? Well, brother, let's pray. Yeah, well, you pray. <laughs> I got stuff to do. Huh? <laughs> yeah. And 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 Jesus, you know, uh, I want to turn there. Luke Luke ten thirty eight says it says, uh, but Martha in verse forty it says, but Martha was distracted with all her preparations. She came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? And tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Mary chose one thing. (laughs) In Psalm 27, 4, it says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. All the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Luke eighteen twenty two. when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. <laughs> he said, go sell everything you have and come follow me. Philippians three thirteen and 14. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. One thing. Man and live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The one thing that our hearts need, the one thing that our lives need is Him. Now, was it wrong for Martha to serve Him? No. Right? But but how many of us know that that we can get into a place? How many of us have been in church and we're serving in church and we're so stressed out and we're so miserable, you know? We, man, we gotta and then we gotta get this all so good. Where's the joy in it? I, I start questioning that about what we're doing in ministry out there. I'm like, are we supposed to have some? I mean, is it this supposed to be? I mean, I know we're gonna go through stuff, but are we supposed to have some rest here? Isn't that what the work? I mean. What's the problem? Is the problem him or is it? Huh? It's me. It's me. Lord, I'm missing it. I need your love. I need your presence. I can't do it. I can't do it. I need you. One thing. I realized when they got that, I didn't understand it with passion and all that. One thing. I was like, oh, that's cool. One thing. Have you ever met you in your fear and your worry? Remember Elijah running from Jezebel? Huh? Great man of God. Running from Jezebel. He's scared, ends up under, a, was it a juniper tree? I think it was. And it says that in that place, an angel came and took care of him, fed him. I mean, you know that that God still loves you when you're afraid. (laughs) That God's still there to take care of you in your fear and your worry. 
still still there. How about in our unforgiveness? When you're in that place and you're holding on to it. By God, you're right. Huh? Yeah. I'm right. Well, if that's your attitude, you're wrong. <laughs> no matter how right you are, you right all day long. But if you're not in love, you're missing it. And you know, we get, we can justify all our points and all that kind of stuff. But just like Jesus met Peter when Peter was going, well, I'll forgive them up to seven times. You know, the Pharisees said three. Peter was going to make it better and say seven. He's probably thinking about them other fishermen he was hanging around with. These sorry jokers. They got about one more time. Huh? They got about one more time. Yeah. And then Jesus said 70 times seven. But he met him there. And, the, you know, the hard thing is, is that Jesus used Peter's folly to teach a whole lesson <laughs> on forgiveness and unforgiveness. You, know, you ever had Jesus do that to you? Yeah, that's not fun. I've been there. But he meets us in those places. How about in your sickness? How about in your, your times when the doctor calls and says, Listen, we need you to come back in. We found some stuff. And all that worry, all that fear starts coming back up. Oh, man. He says, I got you. I got you. It's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. We're going to make it. How many times has he done that? How many times? <laughs> How many times has he met you right where you are? And he's right there. See, sometimes we, we listen way too much to our feelings. Because our feelings tell us that he's far away, but he's never far away. He's always near. <laughs> sometimes I feel like there's a Grand Canyon in between me and God. And there's not. And I, what I'm growing and what I'm learning is that my feelings, as far as whether or not he's close or not, don't matter. You know, I watched, you guys ever get a chance to get this, I say CD now, it's iTunes, a download or whatever. I don't know what we're calling them anymore. But Matt Redman did a CD called Face Down. Okay, And uh, I watched the video of that CD. And Matt was worshiping and all that, you know, but he wasn't moving. And there was the beat and the electric guitars and all that stuff. But he just wasn't caught up in that. He was caught up in the Lord. That was one of the most worshipful CDs I've ever listened to. And God just used that CD to bring me so close to Him. And, and, I, and I learned something through watching Him in those videos that even sometimes in our worship and in our place with God, Music can be a distraction. <laughs> the beat can be a distraction. The guitars can be a distraction. Listen, I lead worship. I love it. Okay? It ain't never too loud for me. Okay? Amen? I like it. But sometimes that can become a distraction to who he really is. You know? And sometimes it all just needs to stop. You know, I took a walk down by the creek yesterday and uh, left my cell phone at the house. Uh, 
you know, with the thing with the thing with cell phones is in our society nowadays, we're always on. Do you notice more and more devices are coming out without off switches? <laughs> Think about it. We're expected by society to always be on. Now, I'm not always on. I don't always answer my phone. I'm sorry. I love you. <laughs> because I have to turn off sometimes. I have to unplug. Okay? And it's very dangerous for me, <laughs> for you, to always be on, to always be available. You know? That makes sense? We need that. Take a walk down by the creek. Go out in your backyard, sit in a chair, stare up in the sky. Do you know that boredom is a need? We need boredom. It's a good thing. I, I, I used to not welcome it. I welcome it now, please. Oh, we love some boredom. Yeah. My life's abundant, but it ain't boring. I can tell you that. Yeah. But we need that. Why? So that we can reconnect. We can go, oh. Lord, you're here. <laughs> you're with me. You never leave me. You never forsake me. And you love me. Those are my ramblings for today. My heart, my heart in all that is that we would let him love us. Because when we let him love us, everything changes. When he loves us, we love him. When he loves us, we love one another. Or we'll get to eventually get to love one another. <laughs> I mean, you know the love chapter. Yeah, everybody knows that. One time I was reading that love chapter. And God said, how do you apply that to yourself? What do you mean? Are you patient with you? Are you kind to you? Do you hold a record of wrongs against you? Because <laughs> I don't. So the crux of my message is this. You are loved. You hear me? You're loved. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to ask a question. Now, I know some of you are very intellectual and you know the Word and some of you are teachers and things like that. I'm, I'm asking you to maybe just lay aside your intellect for a moment. Take a journey down into your heart where Jesus lives. Crawl up in his lap. Just ask, Lord, do you love me? Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and mercies. Thank you for your love. 
Thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. No matter where we are, Lord, you're there. You're ready and waiting to speak to us. You're ready and waiting to help us. Today we just turn our eyes to you. Put our hope in you. Put our trust in you, Jesus. You are the light of the world. We thank you that you're leading us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. In Jesus' name, amen. Go enjoy this beautiful day. I love y'all.